0: Born Ferry player Maddie Ryan stopped by to chat golf, his road trip music playlist, and his favorite food to cook.
1: You gotta hear his stories from PGA Tour Latin America. They're too good to miss.
0: Amazing stories from Maddie as he joins us from Jacksonville Beach to get ready for his season. Yeah. Well, good. Well, hey, let's get you going here. Let's get this thing started. He's Matt Ryan. Uh, He's the professional golfer, Matt Ryan, not the the quarterback for the Falcons. He has just arrived (laughs) in sunny Florida to start his season here um, after that long road trip from San Diego. I want to start right there, Matt. What's your go-to playlist for road trips?
2: Oh, man. Uh, Well, go-to would probably be some... I have a big, long playlist that uh, it says, let's go. Um, So I should probably change that nowadays to LFG, but um, it's got everything from classic rock to like EDM, tropical house and um, some reggae. It's, I mean, it's like seven hours long. I made it for a friend's bachelor party a couple of years ago and all, I just kind of keep adding to it, but I was listening to some podcasts, quite a few, and then some audio books on the way here this time. What kind of nice. bands are
0: What kind of bands are in there in your playlist? You say you got you got some Stones in there, and and then
2: yeah, some... I got Stones. I got uh, let's see, I got Stones and ACDC. I got uh, let me see here Robin Scholes, Calvin Harris, uh, Kanye, uh, B.I.G. I got a bunch of like EDM guys, obviously like Kygo, Axwell and Grasso, Down Diablo.
1: So, so you're I'm, an I'm equal not, opportunity guy.
2: Yeah, there you go. Oh, oh, I like I like older rap. I you won't see me playing much of the newer rap. I, yeah. I'm not big on that. I like the stuff when I was in school and uh, maybe just even even older, like when I was probably I would have never listened to it when I was a kid, but uh, like most deaf and a bunch of guys like that yeah. from way back in the day, so.
0: Like NWA, Run DMC.
2: Yeah. Yeah, NWA wasn't wasn't necessarily allowed in my house. So my dad is a police <laughs> officer and a bunch of uncles. Oh,
0: so. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, fair enough. I'm just yeah. I, I'm just referencing older yeah. bands like uh, older like that old yeah. school hip hop like, um, uh, hierogri- hi- hieroglyphics and those guys. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I and NWA like you know what they what they did and all that stuff is great now looking back. But uh, you know, when I was growing up in L.A., it was very aggressive for obviously like police officers and stuff, but sure. you know, everything works both ways. So it, it was, uh, I don't know. I wasn't that into it when I was growing up, but I got some country too.
1: There you there, go. So, so what yeah, sort of stops of did you make on your way to Florida? Did you just drive straight through pretty much?
2: Uh, no. So my, uh, my old roommate um, for like five and a half years is a uh, Seamus power. Who's uh, he's on the PGA tour. Um, Seamus, his cousin lives in Vegas and we've kind of been going to, we do like mini Vegas trips like years ago when we played mini tour golf, we'd go out to California for the winter and me and some buddies, my hometown's like four and a half hours from Vegas. So we would, shame it's never been, Hey, we're going to Vegas. I'll get the guys to go. So for like maybe three years in a row, we did a Vegas trip. And now since then it's kind of always a place where him and I go back to. So he, he missed the cut on Friday in San Diego and then I met him halfway and he hopped in my car and we drove and hung out in Vegas for a couple of days. And then, uh, from there I stopped kind of impromptu at the grand Canyon. I'd never been before. So I, uh, got a coffee the next morning, went and watched the sunrise at the grand Canyon. So that oh, was wow. unique. Yeah. And then, uh, beautiful city of Amarillo, Texas, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then straight on to St. Pete. My last day was my longest drive. It was like 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: you um, ever stop in just random cities and, and go knock on the municipal course and just play?
2: That'd be a good idea, but no, I, I, years ago I stopped like in Alabama to visit my uncle. I stopped in Texas where my brother was going to school. Then I stopped in Dallas where my, my uh, best buddy from college was. And it, it was just like, you know, eight days later I was just like, man, that was, that was exhausting. So, I've done it three other times and twice with, with uh, Seamus and then this time. And I just said, screw it. I can only make so many stops. So.
0: Right. I mean, there's yeah. the P there's the PGA tour. There's the corn Ferry tour. You have mini tours. I, I'm, I want to, yeah. I want to join the Muni tour.
2: The Muni tour. And I'd just, actually enjoy that. <laughs>
0: wouldn't that be great? Just, yeah, just sk- schedule them on a, a three month bender and, Get a whole (laughs) bunch of amateurs and pros and let's go the Muni tour.
2: That'd be cool. I like, uh, I like munis. I grew up on a public course and, um, I grew up going to like Rancho Park for the LA City, um, amateur championship, Griffith Park, um, Brookside, which are all like historic municipal golf courses in Los Angeles. Did you Um, you play junior golf? Yeah, I played junior golf, not much. Um, I played, uh, I mean, I, my brother and I grew up like massive football guys. So we played a bunch of flag football and then football in high school. Um, but, and then we played on a travel baseball team growing up. So like but golf was kind of always something we did at a young age. And since we were decent at it, we would do it like to fill up time, I guess. So we played junior golf when we were like 10, 11, um, maybe 12. I don't even remember to be honest. Um, and then I played in high school, uh, for four years and like, I'm 34. So I remember asking my dad about AJGA going into my senior year of high school. And it was AJGA is pretty expensive. I honestly think that they need to do something to help guys who grow up at a public golf course to get into something like AJGA because it is an absolute fortune. And when I was growing up, I think there was one tournament like, West of Texas. I, I could be wrong there, but I remember looking it up, and there was like a tournament in Vegas, and that was the closest tournament. So it was like between football in the fall and all summer, and then um, golf in the spring. I just I always thought if I was good enough, I'd I'd be fine not playing AJGA. But nowadays, it's not that way. If you don't play AJGA, you seem to be in in big trouble or behind the eight ball, so to speak. So,
0: what kind of player were you as a junior?
2: uh i've I've always been pretty good I, I started I started playing golf when I was like I, I think my dad has a video of me swinging in the backyard when I was like two and a half like fisher price blue clubs and it's funny looking back now because my swing kind of looks pretty similar but uh i I always hit it well I like stories from my dad when we were really young like you always hit it really well your brother always putted very well if you could put both of you together it'd be you'd be some golfer but um yeah I, I I remember being told by other people, like how well I hit it. Um, but I also, I tell everyone I know that's learning golf. I'm so thankful. I didn't, I don't remember learning how to play golf from sure. the basics. I have no recollection of, of grip stance, posture,
1: swing, nothing. So, um, yeah, what kind of, uh, my brother
2: and I used to watch
1: my dad. So. What kind of sports parents do you, did you have? I usually ask what kind of golf parents did you have, but since you played yeah. a whole bunch of stuff, you <laughs> would have had just sports parents. Yeah.
2: My, my mom was kind of out of sports. I mean, she was a cheerleader in college um, at Cal state Northridge where my dad played football. Um, my dad was awesome. Um, he coached us, me, uh, my brother. So I, I have an identical twin actually. Um, so if I reference him, that's because we were doing everything at the same age, but um, my dad's best friend growing up and my dad coached my brother, our best friend and I in uh like flag football when we were five. And my dad's never been like, I don't, I don't even know if he coached me on other teams. Uh, Maybe when I was like seven or eight, but my dad always liked to stay out of it. Um, He was huge on, you know, if, if, if you're not playing enough or if you're not starting like work harder, don't, don't blame it on the coach. And, you know, you, you get older and it's funny. We, We played on a baseball team one time and my brother weren't playing we weren't playing as much as we thought we should. So we went and complained my dad's response, you know, work harder, get better. And as we got older, my dad goes, yeah, I'm kind of with you guys there. I don't know what happened on that team, but, um, no, my, my parents were great. My mom, even to this day, like, I don't, I think she just knows how my golf goes based on my dad saying, Oh, Matthew did this today. Um, but my dad was an incredible athlete. So I think he kind of, he never wanted to be, um, you know what? Whatever they call it now, golf dad, I guess. But it, it was baseball dads when I was growing right. up. Sure. Um, and I'm. I look back and I'm pretty lucky that I, my dad. We get into it on the course sometimes, but that was as I got older. And um, it, at a, at a pretty young age, he was like, "You know what? I don't. I don't have much to teach you on the golf course anymore. So, uh, do your do your thing." But I mean, he knows me better than anybody on the golf course. So you know, I, I reach out a, to
1: him quite often about just that. a good answer because that's what we get. I, I mean, I ask that question every pod, and, I, and we have not had a person that's like, "Oh man, my parents were just militant, you know, yelling at <laughs> yeah. me about my posture at four years old." And, and I, I wish more parents would hear that because you go to the driving range and you always see the golf dad out there who's just, you know, yeah, just criticizing his four year old. I'm like, that kid's gonna hate golf in a, you know two months.
2: Yeah, it's sad. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a uh, any memory of thinking, man. I wish my dad would just leave me alone. Uh, sure. Whether that was in football, baseball, golf, um, I do. My dad has a huge influence on my brother and I. Like, w- since we were twins, we were always the same age or, or same same level of what we were doing in sports. So, my dad used to come up with like these. We thought they were games, but they were actually receiver drills or a chipping game that was actually you know, helps our chipping. Everything was like a game. Everything was, you know, if you do well, your brother does well because we're, you know, you're identical twins. And in high school, people don't take too much time to differentiate which one, you know, Ryan on the back of the Jersey, which one was that, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think he handled everything great. And, um, yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was my swing coach till 2011, but, um, n- not much. I'd call him, Hey dad, this feels funny. He'd say, Oh, you know, used to do this when you were younger, give that a shot. And then boom,
1: Right, I'd,
2: I'd be hitting it fine. But um, so yeah, he when went it, overseas and I found a swing coach after that.
1: When G- did I, you and your brother part ways on your golf skill level? Um, Is that pretty young or
2: my, my brother after we had the first stint of junior golf, my brother did not like golf that much. He said it just made him too angry. So he ended sure. up getting into tennis, and he played – we never played tennis a day in our lives. And then, like, six months before freshman year of high school, he started playing tennis, and he was pretty darn good at it. So he just got too mad. He didn't like the way it made him feel. So he, he actually shot – 35 for nine holes when he was 12. And that was better than I ever did at that age. Um, you know, we'd shoot, we'd shoot, we'd break 40 a lot, but taking it under par was uh, when it was uh, kind of like our fourth sport. Um, so he was really good, but uh, yeah, 13, 14, 15, he just stopped playing altogether. But plays now only hits at 330.
1: <laughs> only.
0: How did you, yeah. learn, how did you learn the game, Matt? Cause you're left-handed. So did you, yeah you go like the Phil Mickelson route where you, you may have mirrored your father and kind of did that route or.
2: Uh, yeah. I, I'd assume.
0: Or are I'd you naturally I'm left-handed like at everything?
2: I, I actually, I, I write left, but I throw right. Um, okay. like if I picked one hand, I'd be much more coordinated in my right hand. Um, okay. but my, I, I guess maybe a mirror. My, my dad said he used to stand in front of like our crib and swing. So maybe that's why, but, um, we, we ended up our great uncle, um was left-handed so we cut down like his wood actual wooden woods um I don't know if they were quite like persimmon woods but uh and then a two bullseye putters old ones of his and we started playing
1: so is your brother left-handed
2: yeah he plays lefty but he writes right so we're, we're a bit all over the place but um nice yeah,
1: yeah I saw I saw that you're left-handed <laughs> I'm left-handed in everything I do I'm a caveman with the right hand Oh nice! Oh yes! (laughs) Finally, a lefty on the
0: pod. I'm the third wheel here, so if you guys just want to have your own little chit chat, I'll just, I'll walk off into the distance, and you guys can have your left-handed conversation. This is great. You're our first lefty, Matt. So this is, uh, you're you're our standard. So,
2: I mean, we've already Mike and I have already kind of, you know, it proves how much more athletic we are by overcoming the right-handedness of the world. You know, that's That's my mom.
1: When I was a kid, my mom told me. that everyone's born right-handed and only left-handed people overcome the deformity. (laughs) Only give, only gifted people overcome the deformity. They're either lying to us or, or it's truth. Yeah.
0: I'm so (laughs) right-handed dominant. I mean, I shoot, I do everything right. Um, And and whenever I I can, I can try things left-handed, but man, it's just, it's so
2: terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I you, I hit it okay right handed actually. Can um, you
0: like you have you done like a challenge or you know what I mean like when you see um it, just like a right handed challenge and say hey let us closest to the pin or whatever.
2: Yeah, like I'll, we'll mess around. I, I hit shots on the range sometimes. I mean, <clears throat> it's so easy to just grab a club and hit it. Uh, when I was in college, Mike Watney, Nick Watney's uncle was the head coach, and mm-hmm. he saw me hitting the ball right handed one day. And when we did a we did like a clinic for boosters and people in Fresno, that's where I went to school, Fresno state. And, uh, he would, he introduced me as a freshman hitting the ball right-handed. And then I picked up a left-handed club and swung it the other way. But I, I was lucky. <laughs> I strived all three balls right-handed.
0: <laughs> Did that feel more natural lefty?
2: Yeah. I, like I said, I don't remember. I have no yeah. recollection. We swung, we swung a baseball left-handed, played golf left-handed. I have no recollection of, uh, learning how to play golf. Man, that's, shots, such a, putting, shipping, everything. that's such
0: an important thing to have because golf is you want to have a short-term memory in golf to, to forget all the bad stuff. And since you don't re- remember any of those moments when you first started, that's fantastic. Like you don't have those. When I was four years old, I hit this huge shank type of memory. Oh, yeah, so that's really I, do, great. I mean,
2: I have memories from, from high school golf. Yeah. Um, a lot of memories from junior golf playing with my dad and his buddies and um I grew up with like Max Homa was a bit younger than us, but sure. Uh, Joe Greiner, Max Homa's caddy. Uh, okay. Him and I played baseball, flag football, golf, and Joe's a hell of a golfer. But I have tons of memories playing golf with Joe and my brother. So, yeah, did I have memories. I just don't. I don't remember the basics, which right. we're learning golf all the time, which sucks. Uh, we learn every day. <laughs> so,
0: did you play for uh, your high school? Like for yeah, you played on the them. team? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I played four years on the golf team and then I played three years of football, my freshman, sophomore, senior year, uh, which was kind of, that was the, that was the shit in our hometown playing high school football. We won at one point, I think Hart high school, the school I went to won like nine or 10 CIF, which is Southern section, like state championships. I call it state, but it's not It's Southern section. Um, like 10 out of 14 years or something crazy. So, um, we, everybody loved football, high, going to high school games looked like something out of like Friday night lights or something. Right. So, nice. It was cool. Yeah.
0: It seems to me back then, maybe like you, you might be considered a dork or a geek if you play golf, but you're cool for, if you play football.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't, I, I think golf was just getting changing from that. Um, Jason Gore grew up in Valencia also, and he, yeah. Had, He had played well for so long. Uh, Like I mentioned, I mentioned Joe Greiner. um, There was a guy named Brandon Christensen who was like, it was him or Anthony Kim, number one junior in Southern California for years. He went to the crosstown rival and we were all friends. Um, So it was, I don't know. I think golf is just getting, getting cool. I, you never saw people that looked like athletes playing golf or or not as much. And then Hmm. now you kind of go, man, we don't, everyone looks athletic. So it, I don't know what year that changed, but, uh, at some point, you know, even going to college, there were very few guys that looked like athletes playing golf and now every, every kid in college looks like an athlete. So.
1: Well, I mean, that would have been around the t- same time that nutrition and fitness really took hold on golf. I mean, outside of tiger in the two thousands, it wasn't a lot of fit guys and, you know, yeah. so it was probably yeah. around that same time. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, that was Tiger. That was, what, when was the, uh, was it the 2000 LA Open? That was hosted at Valencia Country Club of 2001, which before, is- Before I went to the Riv? So it was at Riv, and then they they were doing like, um, they were redoing something at Riviera, and they chose Valencia Country Club, uh, which is where we all, we, we all grew up in Valencia. And yeah. that was the first time I saw Tiger. That was awesome. Hmm. Well,
0: well, tell us about that story. What?
2: Yeah, there's uh, not much to it. I I I caddied in the practice round. They they asked they asked like high school kids if they were interested in in caddying. So and this or, was what year? Be, this was ninety in junior high. 92. I think it was two thousand or two thousand one. It's uh it's mentioned okay. in all of Bob Rotella's books. Billy Mayfair okay. beat Tiger in a playoff. Um, so I I can't remember what year, but they they asked you know kids, oh you want to do you want to caddy for like, I don't know if it was a Monday prom. I honestly, I, all I remember is catting for, for a player that I didn't even know. And at the end of the round, he gave me his three wood. And, and I'm, I think my dad would know the guy's name. I don't remember it. And.
0: You still have that three wood? You know,
2: no, it was a right-handed <laughs> ping three wood. Um, <laughs> I, and, uh, yeah, but that's when golf was kind of becoming cool. I mean, everyone came to Valencia to watch the LA open and, and the course is perfect it was hard to get on Valencia country club. So, uh, that might even be the first time I ever stepped foot on Valencia country club. It was, uh, it was an amazing place. They had an amazing shape and the buzz around, like it's a small town for California or it used to be, uh, it, it was, it was pretty awesome. So that made a lot of things made golf cool around that time.
1: So. When did you start taking golf seriously? Like as, think i'm going to make this a career kind of thing
2: um uh, probably later than than most guys i know um i think younger guys now even enter college choosing which college they want to go to having the idea of uh, turning professional and you know i'm good friends with will gordon Uh, he's played unbelievably well all through college and then immediately on tour and you know i remember seeing will when he was like 13 it's like yep i'm just gonna play golf and then he you know and then he's 16 and it's like geez he's he's six foot whatever and hitting the ball 290 already or 300 so you know he he went to vanderbilt and i, I don't know if this was the case but i'd assume vanderbilt sent it like hey look how many guys we got on tour um in georgia you can look at it the same way so uh, I don't know, junior year of high school. I remember the summer going into junior year, I was kind of like, all right, well, if if I want to play golf in school, I better have a good year. Um, But that was to get to college. And then I ended up going to a junior college for a year in my hometown. And then I had a scholarship to a a few different schools. um, And I got to Fresno and I had a really good first, I redshirted my I went to JC for a year and a half. Redshirted that half year and half year at Fresno, and then the next year at Fresno, I had a good year. It was like on the All Region team, and I thought, all right, well, I'm if I can be an All American, then I'll turn pro. And then junior year didn't play that well. Senior year I got hurt, and a uh, family friend in Charlotte, North Carolina, mentioned the e Golf Tour uh, when I was looking for jobs <clears throat> after about seven or eight months after school and he said, Hey, why don't you come out here and live with us and try it. And I'd say that's when I, I was really, it seems late, but I've always been able to hit the ball solid enough to compete. I just, uh, I think my golf IQ was extremely low, uh, coming out of college. And, uh, the e-golf tour was great for that. Cause you were playing with guys on the PGA tour who, or who were on the PGA tour the previous year, uh, you know, web.com or nationwide at the time. So yeah, it was kind of like, get better, or go home. So,
0: right. And the golf IQ, you kind of mean like course management and kind of maybe how to prepare or get through a round.
2: Yeah. I, I think when I say golf IQ, I, I, mean, anything from course management, you know, like emotional control, you, you can talk to guys who have known me my whole life. Um, I've always had trouble kind of controlling my emotions on the golf course. I, it was explained best to me one time. A buddy said, "You're you're bringing your football attitude onto the golf course," <laughs> and he was right. Like, you know, every shot was like live or die, and yeah. I didn't know how to play the game. Um, I just, I think through college, I was really lucky that I could hit the ball so well that I just kind of like disguised myself as like a better golfer than what I was. Um, so yeah, it, it, uh, emotions travel. You know how how you operate in terms of uh, course management i think is i personally think course management is easy you know this is what the designer w- where he wants you to try to hit it and can you hit it there and if you can't hit it somewhere else mm. but i just I, guys are so groomed i mean i was my first year i played with brian harman in one of my first few events and i think we're the same age and brian was all world junior all world amateur all world in college and then i i was like oh man i I've never played with Brian. I mean, he, you know, certain guys get, they're so good at a young age. They go to, they go to the Walker cup and play all these high-end junior tournaments and they get so good mentally and showing up to a course and knowing like everybody knows Brian Harmon at that time. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, you kind of have to find your way, get used to, okay, I need to play my game and am I good enough? So I think that's what I mean by golf, golf IQ. Yeah.
0: And I think the mental aspect is, I mean, it's obvious I'm not throwing out a hot take here or anything. When I say, you know, golf is what really separates a really good golfer and an elite golfer is the mental aspect of it and controlling your emotions like that. And I wonder if it's just, can you learn, um, Golf IQ, or can you learn to be really mentally stable during a, a pressure shot, or are you just that way?
2: No, I, th- I think you can. And I think that I, at times, I can use that, like, quote unquote, football. I, I know I only played through high school, but I just did it my whole life at a young age. And that's the best way to explain my attitude. Um, I can use that at times, but if I, if that is on the golf course all the time, I mean it is exhausting. I mean golf, you know, people talk about Tiger showing emotion. I think that's one of the most impressive things about Tiger is how he was able to show emotion and then turn around and settle back in. I mean, most golfers are just like this all day, right? Right. And when they give that fist pump, it's on the last hole, or they get super jacked. It's on the last hole to win something, or maybe tie. And uh, I th- I work with a um, neuroscientist, the last few years, huh. um, just about like how the brain works. And we, we, you know, we go into how my brain operates personally, but how the, how the actual attributes of the brain contribute to certain things. And I know that I have to do things off the course to be better on it. And when I do those things, I'm, I'm, my emotions are better on the course. I have, I, I have a like game plan of how I want to respond going into a shot leaving a shot you know some guys I think it's easy for them and for some people it's not I mean I I can I've always been a good driver of the ball but I've always struggled with my emotions and I think that's uh just every guy has to work on something a little different so I've really enjoyed working on that
1: the last few years. So nowadays when you have a great round or a good tournament is it because you kept those emotions in check or was it because you were just hitting the ball better? Like what fluctuates more in your game, the mental side or the physical side? De- definitely emotions uh, is when I handle
2: things well. I mean, I, I think even for me, you know, I, I can go play a mini tour event and and I'm kind of on cruise control or PJ Tour Latin America, Latin America is a really good golf tour. But I had, you know, I've seen some success down there. I haven't won. But when I go back now throughout the years with corn ferry status or something, I you just kind of have a sense of calm where the fact that I haven't done it yet on the corn ferry tour, I think I tend to get a little emotional, um, because I know I can, I know I hit it well enough. I know I put it well enough, chip it well enough. I just haven't done it. So if, if I do all those things well enough and in practice, I'm, I'm doing it to a higher standard. Um, if I'm not doing it in the tournament uh, for me, it, I, I really just go, okay, it's something emotional you know, what am I, what am I doing wrong here emotionally, either on or off the golf course?
0: It sounds like the, like, uh, stepping stones of, of confidence, right? Cause I mean, 2019 on, uh, Latino, uh, tour, I mean, you had a great year, uh, 14 events, four top tens, eight top 25s. You only missed three yeah. that year. So it's gaining that you did that. So there's that confidence and then you get status on corn Ferry tour. So now it's time to build that confidence on corn fairy tour. Am I, am I reading into that or is that?
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. right. I mean, I had full status on the corn Ferry tour in, in 2018. My, okay. my best, my best event up to this point is the 13th finish in Exuma, which was the first event I ever played. Um, and, you know, I, Exuma is kind of a funny place because the weather can be so bad that
1: mm-hmm.
2: there are times where you don't see anybody. I mean, you're, you're like, if you're delayed, you're still at your, your room. And then you come out and you see like nine people. Cause everybody, people could be on the course, your routine off next. And I think that was a very easy place for me to just put the blinders on. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's some residual from whatever junior golf, amateur golf, mini tour golf with, uh, like some of some of the guys that I know and I've seen play so well for so long, and I think at times you can go, man, what does this guy do so much better than me? And then you get caught, like, what am I doing out here? Like, yeah, pay attention to me. And you know, I'm 34, and you kind of go, like, why why would why would he still be dealing with that? But every now and then, I I would say that's very rare. But every now and then, it happens. I mean, you play with a lot of good players, and you you play with a uh, a lot of guys that um, just look so comfortable, so comfortable. And I think there's a big difference between being comfortable and then acting like you're comfortable or trying to be comfortable. And I think I just, this year, I'm really excited. I, I am working on things off the course to just kind of be me on the golf course. So, um, yeah, At Latin America, uh, first event I ever played down there, I lost in a playoff. So I was, I was just immediately. Okay, great segue. I, can, I, can I was it. just going to,
0: that's a great oh. segue. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I wanted to learn about that because that was your very, very first event on there. Right. And you get into a playoff. Yeah. I mean, talk about that. So we just talked about confidence. What yeah. did that mean to you as a player? And, and was it like the, I belong? Aha uh, yeah. Just,
2: yeah. And I, I honestly think it was before then. So I, I, I was at final stage in 2013. I uh, had a bad, that was when it was six rounds. Still. I had a bad fifth round. that just like, for, took for me out the PGA head. tour Q school. This was the first year. It was only um, web.com. Oh God. Okay. So, yep. Yeah. That was the first year. Final stage it was six. It was still six rounds, but it was only for a cornflurry tour card. Gotcha. So I, I went there, I was in like 12th going in the fifth day, bad fifth round. I think I shot 70 or something in the sixth round. And, and, My conditional status was very bad, but I was told, oh, you you know, the the first events of the year, which started in Brazil, go very deep. I was playing an e-golf event with uh, Seamus Power, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go play the Latin event or try to Monday for the Latin event in, it was in Guadalajara, Mexico. And so I I was kind of like, well, screw it, I'll go. And again, you go there, the Latin tour was just kind of getting traction then. And you go there with corn fairy status and you have the, a different, like you, you put it well, like a stepping stone of confidence. It's just a little bit higher than everyone else there. You know, you make mistakes and you don't mind. And, uh, it turned out that Seamus missed the Monday. So he ended up catting for me. Well, him and I were roommates, even at the time, you know, he's good enough to get on tour. I got him on my golf bag. Um, the, the people of Mexico, I absolutely love, I think growing up in Southern California, I, I understand the Spanish better. I just, the food was good. E- everything that week, like I can tell you where I went to dinner and how I went about the golf course. They had infinity SUVs taking us to and from the course. I mean, it, it was like my first taste because all I, up till then I played the e-golf tour, which is a good mini tour of like a PGA tour sanctioned event. And it was like, everything was a little bit more special. So I, w- I was really good at, at not minding mistakes. I had, I had, Seamus on the bag who was even better at telling me not to worry about mistakes. And I think I, I birdied 17 and 18 and I, I ended up being in like an eight man playoff. Um, Marcelo Rosso won that actually he plays on the corn Ferry tour now. So, um, yeah, that was my first event. And then a couple weeks later, I, I think I finished 15th. Um, so I just, I was kind of quick to get comfortable down there. I didn't play great in 17 down there, but I also, I lost in a playoff there for the Argentine open. So yeah, I've had, I've had some nice times down there. Uh, and I've been last year. I was extremely comfortable going back down. So
1: it sounds like a good time.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was
0: <laughs> what's travel life like down there. I mean, it, it, are the tours. Yeah. Give us some travel stories and
2: Yeah. Um, travel's funny. Every, every season I've played down there, there's always going to be a story about someone losing their luggage, not getting their bags until Wednesday. Um, it just, I mean, it just happens. Uh, that happened to me this year in Dominican Republic actually, but that was the first time to me since 2014. Um, and it's interesting, like there's a, the old guys are a bit crusty about it the middle age range are kind of like, uh, eh, whatever. We've been here before. We know how it works. And the young guys are kind of like going to shock. It's like, wait a minute. What, I can't order this food this way. And it comes out that way. So more, more so than just like travel stories, I think just travel down there is whatever you make it. If you're, if you're going down there and you're having fun and everyone kind of clicks into their, group of buddies, if you reach out to the Latin guys, they're amazing. They'll they'll help you with language, they'll help you with directions, where to eat. Um, I think I a good friend of mine, Michael Budicavoli, had been down there and he's fluent in Spanish, um, lives down in Miami, and he he made it so easy for me the first time I went down there, just hey, we're this place you get Airbnb, this place you don't, the host hotel if it's under this price, like it's a good, it's a good thing to do. Um so Kind of who, Latin. Latin America is so much different than the Corn Ferry Tour. You, if you're not reaching out to guys and making yourself comfortable with other players that you're playing against every week, it's it's going to be a long year. I mean, you you can gather so much information. The camaraderie down there is really like nothing you've seen for for golf at a tournament. Um, you know, you, you're on a bus with the same guys. You're on the plane with the same guys. You're walking to the course sometimes. You're going to dinner. And, you know, I, I enjoy that. I grew up playing team sports, had a twin brother. Um, I think that's one of the things that I struggle with playing the corn Ferry tour. Cause even in e-golf days, I traveled with Seamus power everywhere. So, um, I'm trying to think of some funny stories. I mean, Latin America is, I think it gets a bad rap sometimes. I don't think it's nearly as hard to travel there as people may make it out to be. Um, but you do see some funny stuff. I mean, you know, you, you'll go to a range, and I think I went a year in 2017, and then other than one tournament in 19, I didn't hit a driver on the driving ranges. I mean, the balls, they're not in great shape.
1: Oh, okay. You're down
2: there. Yeah, they're not in great shape. So it's either the range is cut short where they won't let you hit driver, or the range balls are just risky. I mean, the last thing you want to do is crack a driver or three-wood uh, when you're on the road for four weeks. So, um, Yeah, I guess you don't have
1: – tour vans there to get you your new clubs on the. There's, <laughs> yeah.
0: there's no tour trucks on the yeah people in you know
2: yeah you'll see you'll see guys at the airport every now and they're like hey dude can you put this in my golf bag so i can make weight right they're bringing <laughs> extra clubs and um but you got guys they have a wooden stick with a with like a round thing at the end and they're picking up golf balls and put them in a bucket in the middle of the range and it catches some guys off guard some guys just laugh the Latin guys, obviously, I mean, they they, they handle everything pretty darn well. Um, but caddy stories are funny. I had a caddy that, that never called me by my name; he just called me Meester. So, you go to some of the corn fairy or Latin events, and you'll hear guys calling me Meester, and it's from <laughs> that caddy. So, um, just you, you get you get funny stuff like that where years later you're like, oh man, you remember this, and you're like, oh my word.
1: Is there a lot of caddies on the Latin tour or is there a lot of guys carrying their own bags? So up until last year, it was mandatory to take a caddy.
2: Um, they changed that last year. So I would say not quite 50-50. There's more guys taking caddies than not taking caddies. And yeah, I mean, I, I, had, I had some caddies in 2014 that caddied for me in 17, 19, one guy caddied for me in the corn ferry events in 18. So there are a lot of caddies and there are a lot of good caddies too. You're, you're not, you're not necessarily you're, I personally was never looking for a guy who knew so much about golf. I just wanted a guy who seemed like a nice person, smiled. Um, and I got really lucky. I had a lot of good caddies down there and a lot of guys that still message me on WhatsApp or Instagram or um, something like that. I'm actually one of the guys I'm, um, he never caddied for me. He caddied for Tyson Alexander for a while. He's going to caddy for me in Louisiana in a few weeks for the corn
1: Fair event. Um, so well, if you come I, to the uh, Boise Albertsons, let me know.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, I hope to be there again. I was there last year. I love. I oh, are year.
1: you? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where I live. So if you need a, need a bad right. guy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's it, a lot of good guys. Is there, I mean, how, how does it, you just kind of network or is there like an Airbnb for caddies when you're on some of those mini tours? Cause I can't imagine that there's a lot of guys that have the same guy all the time traveling around Latin America with them.
2: Yeah. Some of the, some of the Argentinians um, I think Mito Pereira had either the same guy or maybe two guys in one year. There's more than you think that get around to every event. Um, but those are the guys that are also going to come with some of the Latin players, to get on the corn ferry tour. Um, there are a few really, really good caddies down there and they they're doing the same thing as some of the guys that are, that are caddying, you know, in the States, they just want to keep moving up to the next level. So, um, yeah, my goal was to find someone that spoke less English. I, I found that if I wasn't trying to speak English all day, there was less to say and they were, and chances are they were probably still pretty good with golf knowledge. So, um, yeah, everybody kind of has their own method, but there, there are some really, really good caddies down there for sure.
0: Is that how, how important is that relationship to to you as the player? You know, Obviously, you say you want to have a, a guy that's nice and maybe he n- not necessarily a player in his own right. Does it maybe hurt you or hurt players more that the caddy may know a lot about golf and, and is a good player in their own right? where they may talk you into a a seven when you really want to hit the eight, but they're so assertive. that They're they're like, no, you need to hit the seven here. And then the seven ends up being the wrong club. And then that there's that. It could, it could be divisive, you know, or not divisive, but it could, it could, it could create some rift between it. Um, Like Bubba with his caddy sometimes he'll, he'll rip into him when he's like, Oh, I should have hit the nine. So is that, I guess it's what's your take on that?
2: I think ultimately, personally, the player gets more reward than the caddy. The player gets more recognition than the caddy. It's the player's decision to make the final decision. I don't – I've never been one to – I'm trying to think of a case where I've – Latin or American, I mean, I've had a lot of American caddies too where I'm trying to think – my opinion is if I ask you, that means you have – open reign to be yeah. as honest as possible, say whatever you want. And then if, even if I disagree with what you say, I still would rather you be honest before I hit the shot than after say, Oh, I, I thought it was the seventh. Yeah. And you're just like, Oh dude, it, I asked you. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I, every guy, everybody does things a little differently. I know some guys that are, it's almost like they're intentionally mean to caddies or blame the caddy to almost just feel like, well, I, I couldn't have done that. I'm too good to do that. So they don't take and, the
0: onus on it when they're the ones yeah, that hit the shot. I mean,
2: yeah, for sure. And that's okay. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of times when that comes out on like TV with certain players, they, they get a bad rap, but you see that all the time. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. In, in Latin America, I've kind of, I use this technique where I would hold clubs like this Yeah. And, and the caddy would just tap one. And for me, it wasn't so much that I thought one was right or wrong. It was, I know exactly what shot I want to hit with this eight iron or sandwich or lob wedge. And I know exactly what club I, or what shot I want to hit with the other club. And I just needed to choose. I just need to fully commit to which shot. So it wasn't so much like I already picked one and I want to see what he chooses. It was, it was more of, I already have the shots in my head. I just need to go with one of them.
0: That's like the Russian and, roulette for golf. <laughs> Pick yeah, the but, bullet.
2: I mean, we're like so many guys. this, uh, this no way meant to come off arrogant. We're so good to a level of professional versus amateur. I could hit so many different shots with a sandwich or an eight iron and, and everyone at my level can. So I think sometimes we just bombard ourselves with, well, I can do this one. I can do this one. I can do that one. And if you just pick one, you're, you're good. You're good to go. And I've taken that with my, Um, my buddy, Colin Wheeler, a guy named Owen Cass, they've caddied for me over the years. And, and I just say, I don't need, I don't need to talk about what I want to do. Just pick one. And it's, it's worked out great for me. Uh, but again, it's more of, I don't, I just need to commit.
1: So So what's uh, your, what's your stock shot? Something on the line, you're going into a green pins in the middle. You just, what do you rely on?
2: What kind of tour are we playing here, Mike? Pins in the
1: middle? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, my, this, this ain't
2: no
0: softy Just, executive three.
2: Uh, you guys didn't that, get the pin that placements for the Muni
0: play. tour? Is, we want we pins <laughs> over... Yeah, give him a. So he's a lefty. So you you have to present this now. You can present this and in now. A I can.
1: Yeah, I got in trouble. I I, t- I presented this entire golf shot scenario a couple pods <laughs> ago, and then I realized I asked it backwards as a left hander. So right go hand
0: ahead, hand. Mike. This like, is your so chance yeah. to redeem yourself. No, no I mean, so
1: like, what? yours. Like, tuck pin. I mean, but uh, you got to just hit a good shot. You cut. You you hit a low punch. You know, you hit a high draw. What do you kind of? What's your stock go yeah. to?
2: I actually heard the pod. I think it was a
1: Conto maybe,
2: or it was, uh, I think it was, was Kevin. Lucas.
1: Uh, yeah. It was Lucas. Lucas yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh crap. I asked that completely backwards. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I'd say if, um,
2: it's different going into a green and off the T, um, going into the green for me, would be very pin dependent. I mean, if the pin, if the pin is back, right. <laughs> I'm not so much along the lines of I have to hit it in the middle of the green and work it to the pin. If I feel a shot, I'm hitting it. So if I think the hardest shot in golf is when something's on the line, when you're around the cut, when something's on the line, when you're in contention, I think it's a lot easier. Contention, you're feeling good. You're obviously playing solid around the cut. If I really, really needed a shot and like everything was on it uh, at the moment with the, I have this little like knockdown tiny draw that I've been hitting that I would hit, but uh, it does change. I mean, I hit a great shot. I played the big money classic in um, was the beginning of January. Yeah. yeah. And I, I missed the cut by one. I needed a birdie on the last. And I hit like a punch cut three wood off the tee, which has like his flat, flat ball flight. And then into the green, I hit like a perfect draw with a gap, witch. So I, I, for me i've always been able to work it both ways pretty easily it would just depend on a few things i, w- I wouldn't say i have one locked in go to going into a green if i'm if i'm being completely honest
1: yeah, uh, that's, that's that's similar to me because the longer the club is the more comfortable i am with the cut and the shorter the club yeah. gets the more comfortable i i am hitting a draw that's yeah, such that has an to interesting
0: that's such an interesting perspective, though, Maddie, because you just said that you, you feel more pressure trying to make the cut versus in contention. And, I mean, personally, me as a player and as a fan, I would think it would be more. So that's that's really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, the cut – if you're around the cut and you're a solid – Because you're not all- making yeah.
0: money. Yeah, you got to make the cut to make money. I, I understand that, but yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, I think – I'd say most majority of golfers aren't even thinking about the money while on the course. We just want, we just want to play well. And I think I've actually talked to Kevin Lucas about this over the years. Like he'll say the same thing, like whatever about the money, I just want to win the golf tournament at the end of the day. Um, and I, I think my my thought with that is like, when you're around the cut or you're around the number in Q school, you're not playing very solid or you're not scoring very solid. So yeah, when you're in contention and you're you're up there even leading, like you're playing well. So, I mean, you're you're cruising, man. Like you're, it's fun. You're you're probably laughing with your caddy. You probably got good playing partners. Even if you don't, you're in your own world. I mean, when you're when you're around the cut line, things probably just aren't working. If that's off the tee, or if that's the iron game, the wedge is not close enough, just burning edges. So um, you just you have more. I get pressure. And if the definition I use for pressure is, is from the uh, Dr. Justice that I work with is you have too many thoughts and most of them are negative. So yeah, that's, that's when you're around the cut. That's when they pop up or at Q
1: school. So what kind of on course guy are you during a tournament? Are you a big talker? Do you stay in your own zone or does that depend on where you're at on the leaderboard or what day it is?
2: Uh, yeah. And you'll see everyone do that, right? Like, uh, Sunday coming down, if you're not in contention, everybody's just cruising. And like a lot of guys are chit chatting a little more. I've really worked hard on the last couple of years, not talking as much. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very social guy off the course and I love networking with people and getting to know people. And, you know, at, at times you're on the course and if you're doing that all the way to your ball, it's like, Oh shit, I got to hit a golf shot now. And so, for years I've, I've worked on that longer than a couple of years, but the last couple of years I've done a really good job of like controlling my environment in terms of like, I even have a system where I, I talk from T to fairway. But if I'm going fairway to green or T box to green on a part three, I have some mental stuff that I work on or emotional stuff for me that I don't, I, I won't talk much. I'll be cordial with someone, but if someone goes into a full conversation, I might pretend to go, walk back to my caddy and get something or walk to the trash can. I I just know there are certain things I have to do emotionally to to give myself a better chance on the green. So yeah, I think everybody's a bit different. Um, You also have guys that you just really, really connect with. Well, I don't, I, I mentioned controlling my environment. If I'm playing with guys who I know are very professional and very, um, they're not going to say anything that, would make my brain go somewhere else or frustrate me then I'll I'll I'll, I'll be open to talking to them but like who's um, the,
0: who's the jokester on tour
2: I mean Andres Gonzalez is absolutely hilarious yes, uh, man, half he's, beast. he's one of the he's one of the funniest people I've ever met he uh, like is he always is
0: he that way on course like is, is his persona yeah. as he off course on course yeah
2: he he's almost more so on the course. I mean, yeah. if, if he's at practice, he's he's practicing. But if he's on the course, he's very funny. Like he, we're me, him, Andrew Novak, were playing in Wichita, and I th- I think it was Andrew. He hits a shot, or he he makes a putt on the first, stripes one down the middle. If it wasn't Andrew, I, I don't know who it was, but I'm I'm pretty sure. And Andre goes, wow, in the zone already. Let's go, right? <laughs> and if you didn't know Andre, you'd think like. What's this guy trying to do to yeah. the other player? And Andre is literally just pumped. He'd rather have it, you hit good golf in his group than good golf somewhere else. I mean, he made, he made a joke. I've been over to like put a ball that was right on line instead of moving it, and I'm like straddling the line, bend over, and Andre goes, "Whew, best view best view I've seen all day." Now I can't <laughs> help but make this one <laughs> right, <laughs> and he knocks it in and gives us big fist pump, and and we're not in contention. We're we're out of it, and. And and the the people following him were laughing, us in the group were laughing. So uh, yeah, he's, he's hilarious.
0: Is that when golf is the most fun? Like when you, when you might not be in contention versus when you are, because you're, you're grinding so hard and and you want to win tournaments to me, I think sometimes golfers don't truly have fun in that moment because it's their job and, and they need to perform at a high level and focus at a high level. And maybe I, I honestly think some golfers just forget to have fun.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I don't, uh, the most fun you can have on a golf course is winning a golf tournament, being in contention. I don't, I wouldn't even, um, I'd say the most fun that you're talking about, like more kind of like chewing the fat with some buddies.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I think when you're, you're coming down the last six holes, seven, eight holes, if if you're not playing great and it's the last day and you didn't start the day, started the day towards the back, you'll see a lot of guys like do some funny things um, and hang out more. But you, but after the round, you're just like, Oh God, that was a shitty week. Right. So yeah, the most fun you can possibly have is winning every guy coming up to you saying, nice playing and getting phone calls and texts. And I don't, uh, Harold Varner. I've spent a lot of time with over the years, plays plays he in Charlotte. We played e golf. Um, he has more fun on the golf course than when I've ever seen. In terms of what you're talking about, I mean, you're. I agree. He just loves golf. He, loves he, golf. He can, yeah, he, you can really tell that. Yeah, ooh, and ooh, I. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. And okay. I love competition. Yeah. I, I don't. I've told people I don't know how much I love golf. In terms of how other people love it, like. Oh, I don't. I don't have a day to work. I'm going to go to the golf course. I mean, I. I'd rather I mean, golf and work are simultaneous for me. But like, I have a really hard time playing with my friends back home and just having fun. Um, I told people if I ever stop playing professionally, I, I think I'd try to play right-handed because lefty, I'm only going to get worse. I'm never going to get any better if I stop right. playing professionally. So fun's a hard one. I I think everyone would have a little bit of a different opinion. I love the things that golf has brought me travel, competition, uh, networking, um, experience. I mean, stories and, but I, I love competition. I love being able to hit a shot when you're under the gun, making a putt and whether that's a team game with buddies or individually playing at a golf tournament. So yeah, I think fun's one would be, be based on each individual.
1: Yeah, everybody's got their own definition for it. Yeah. What's different than you expected in pro golf? Uh huh. I
2: gotta, th- I gotta think about that one for a second because it, I have. Uh, I did turn pro in 2010. Um, here was a good one. A buddy said it last week you play better courses playing amateur golf than you do playing professional golf. And he was talking <laughs> about many tours. I mean, we, some of the courses we play in Latin America are incredible and, I, and they could stack up against any course. we play on the corn ferry like
0: course conditions wise
2: condition layout, yeah. uh, history. Um, I mean the jockey club in Argentina is by far one of the coolest places I've ever been. Y- you walk on property and you can like feel all these legends of golf that have been here, been there. Awesome. So, yeah, and it's an Alistair McKenzie design. has um, won it. Uh, one, uh, I think one of the Stadlers won it. Furyk's won it. Seve, uh, Sergio's was low-am one year. I mean, you can see all this stuff at the Jockey Club on a board. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd say, I, I mean, if, you, if you're playing amateur golf, they, they, there's so much pride taken in some of those events to get the course in great shape. It's the best shape you'll see in it all year. And sometimes in mini tour golf, well, a lot of the time in in real mini tour golf, like I I won't say, say the tours, but below, uh, Latin America, Canada, corn ferry, and even you get some on, on those tours, like it's almost like you're just guys showing up to play. And that was kind of weird because you expect, and the e-golf tour did a great job when I first turned pro getting on courses that were really, really good. But then you go and play some other tours and you're like, man. (laughs) <laughs> what are we doing here?
1: So like, it's well, like the Muni tour. <laughs> it, <laughs> I,
2: at times, at times, yeah, you're you're. uh, I mean, sometimes you can't get a tea time for a practice round at some places, mm-hmm. and you're like, they don't they don't even really want you here. Like, so that was a bit surprising because you just think like pro golf, like people are going to love it.
0: So sure, I,
2: I, that that would be a good one.
0: What's your? do You got a favorite city to play in? City, country.
2: Uh, yeah, I. I I mean, I, there are some countries in Latin America I just fell in love with. I, I, I love Mexico. I always get a good feeling when I go to Mexico. Uh, I don't know if it's because the first tournament, like in Guadalajara or, um, I mean, several others where I've played well. Uh, it seems like every time I land in Mexico, I just, I'm, I just get good vibes. I mean, the, the tournament directors and some of the people that work for the events for the Corn Ferry Tour in Leon are also working the Mexican events. Uh, for Latin America. I mean, I, I don't know how many of my good finishes have been in Mexico, but a lot. Um, I, I played well in Leon in the corn ferry tour twice now. I, I but, and then again, I, I love Bogota, Colombia, and I've never played yeah. well there. I think I've played one good round the golf there. And I've been there six times, but it is one of the coolest cities. I mean, you can walk everywhere. People are riding bikes. Um, but yeah, Quito, Ecuador, Santiago, Chile. One year in Santiago, I just I picked a different direction to walk every morning and just walk for like an hour and would turn around and come back to the Airbnb. So yeah, I mean, there's Buenos Aires. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool cool places. Um, we played in Patagonia or in the mountains of Patagonia one year. Um, it's amazing. They're just they're all different. I like being in cities. I want to I want yeah. I want to see like the buzz of a city and good places to eat, walkable. So.
1: Yeah. So, is it safe to say that your camera roll has some really great pictures?
2: Yeah, I do. I do have <laughs> some good pictures. I, I wish I, I wish I took more over the years. Uh, to be fair, I, I probably have some on my computer that I don't have on my phone. But um, yeah, I have some. I have some good pictures, and I've been to some cool places. I made a point a few years ago to try to do something moderately touristy every week that I spent in Latin America. Some places you go, you can't, but um, you know, Bogota one year, I went to this salt mine that was turned into an underground cathedral and there's wow. this, like natural blue light that shines in and you're like, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're like, I'll never come back here. And so I've tried to do things like that, um, when I'm taking advantage of the places that I'm in. And, and I think that definitely paid off in
1: 2019. Um, so. Awesome. Any places you went where they were like, don't leave your hotel. not one
2: one. uh well years ago we were in honduras but we're at a resort the resort you're not going anywhere anyways sure um
1: yeah
2: i actually you mentioned that i missed three cuts last year i think all three of them were at all-inclusive resorts so i better (laughs) i better reevaluate that one we'll let
0: the Um, listeners uh read between the lines there
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so we one year in Bogota, uh, in 18 for the corn ferry tour, we had an email and, it, and I, there was some sort of like car bomb that went off. And I honestly don't even know where it was in relation to the golf course, but this is like weeks before. And we got this email saying with all those rules, be careful, don't get in an Uber cause it's not allowed by the government. And I'm reading them and I'm going, what I've done all these things. Like, <laughs> and then we got there and I, and, um, I think it was, uh, Michael Weaver, who was a USM runner up one year, played Augusta. I've known him since he was in high school in Fresno. We're walking to dinner, and Sam Burns and his family are at, at the restaurant. And uh, we go outside, and they're like, We're like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, Oh, we're waiting for a, for a taxi. I was like, Oh, you can just walk with us. And they, were, they, were, they had followed the rules on the email, but I could see if you've never been down there how it could feel that way. But Michael Weaver and I had spent, I think a year and a half each down there. And um, that's the only time I can remember where we got a warning to, uh, to be careful.
0: Wow. That's awesome. So what's this?
1: Yeah. I'm not sure I'd play well that week after getting that email. If I'd never been there before. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah so you're in florida yeah. Yeah. uh you're in florida yeah. you're doing um what's this year look like for you and, and you talk about your status and and what's going on this
2: year uh yeah i i have conditional status still uh which is kind of a bummer you're kind of always i got into enough events last year to where i should have fixed that I, I i had every opportunity i'd play two or three good rounds and then i, I wouldn't play two or three good rounds and um, I was, I was dealing with some stuff off the course that was really difficult emotionally for me. And I, every time I snuck up into contention, I, I think they just revealed themselves with, with, like I said, the too many thoughts, a lot of them are negative. Um, feeling a lot of pressure with like some home stuff and, um, I should have corrected it, but here I am. I have conditional status. Uh, I'm really lucky. I got a sponsor exemption into Louisiana, which is the second event. So um knowing that i can plan for that is such a huge deal that's the yeah. hardest part with conditional status is you, you you're looking at and refreshing your your player links and it's like okay i'm i'm 165 out of 156 going into friday mm. for the next week's event and then saturday you're 160 and then sunday you're you know 155 and you're or or 157 and then you're like oh god should i go should i stay so many people have dropped out or, or decommitted. It's so difficult, but last year I had a lot of good practice with that. I'm more prepared for that. Um, so, but getting into Louisiana is before the first reshuffle. And if I can play well there, then I can, I can help myself out a little bit. So I'll play the Monday, Monday for Sarasota this Monday. Um, is that for my car? I haven't played it yeah, that's for LeCom. Yeah, okay. um, I haven't I haven't played a ton of Mondays in my career. Uh, when I first turned pro, Titleist was very adamant about would rather see you play tournaments. Um, the e Golf Tour, had yeah, the Hooters Tour, they were so good that yeah. you just saw a lot of guys playing tournaments. And if Mondays fit, they played um, most of the time. Guys who played Mondays had status, and now it's just changed so much. So, I I tend to play Mondays when I'm not really in i feel like i'm not in season like I, I played the san diego monday years ago i played the la monday and i'm like i'm going home to visit family and i i like go play the monday and it's it's not the right way to do it i mean you should yeah. be winning money games at, at your home course and playing well um i, I had the monday for the second san antonio event last year and i played great i shot seven under missed by one but i was in i was in form right yeah. so I just, I need to be more ready to go for those this year. I'm also playing a G pro tour event. Um, if, if I, if I miss the Monday at, uh, I'll play a G pro the following week. And I'm also signed up for a, oh my gosh, uh, APT tour event in Louisiana the week before the corn ferry event. So I, I definitely like to play events before I'm like playing. I don't mean to say bigger one, but, Because even the APT is a big one. I mean, thirty-five grand of the winter, I think, you know, what a good way to like get going into the next week. So, um, yeah, my schedule's kind of conditional. So I'll play. I'll play it by ear and play some Mondays.
0: How many miles do you have on your car?
2: Well, one of the reasons I drove back from California is I was buying a new car. (laughs) Uh, Ah, yeah. (laughs) Um, my I have a two thousand eight nissan ultima that has 200 miles um this uh suv i just got has 65 i think now that i drove across the country oh, i also God. had a honda accord that had 210 uh that i got rid of last year so <laughs> um yeah a you, lot give of that miles to your, you can give that to your brother that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's left-handed. they will be fine. <laughs> left-handed <laughs> Honda. Those are hard to come by. <laughs> my my brother's my brother's doing all right. He's a uh, Beverly Hills police officer. He doesn't need any of my mini tour scraps. <laughs>
0: That's perfect. So wh- why doesn't yeah. he be like your personal bodyguard when you head back home and uh, to play all those yeah. events? Like he's your like you know when Tiger Woods had his main security guard always by him and everything.
2: Yeah. No, my, my brother's got a, he's got a little girl and wonderful wife. He he doesn't want anything to do with that. Oh, <laughs> On that's duty, awesome. I wouldn't be paying enough for off duty.
1: Oh man. All right. So towards the end of the poll, I always like to have some fun question time. Um, 30 years from now, who's your honorary three at the masters?
2: Oh yeah. Um, I mean, Tiger, what's, how old's Tiger.
1: 44, 43, five. He was born. In He'll 70. be old enough to be an honorary. He was born in 75. has got to be someone in their
2: seventies. So, I mean, tiger for sure. That's a lock, I guess. Right. Uh, you got to say Phil, um, Phil would be a lock
1: 90. That's 95% of everybody's first two. And it then really it's like is, a five yeah. minute the thought is, process yeah. on who's a third person. This has turned
0: into a great poll question for the
1: pod.
2: <laughs> This is a great one. My favorite player growing up, by far, was Ernie Els, and I think he'll be one.
0: There you go. That's um, my three. That's exactly there you my go. three. And, Perfect. And I,
2: international, like
0: yep, it, your international love, like so. Um, uh, uh, Gary, Gary Player, player. Yep. and then the two Americans, Jack and Ernie.
2: Oh wait, has Ernie won?
0: Um, the Masters Ernie. won the Masters. Oh, do you have to win the Masters you to ha- be a I think starter? You ha-
1: well, that's a great
0: question. I, I don't it even has know. Have to be,
2: because who was the um? There was a um, African American guy that yeah, was an honorary starter one year. Obvi- I mean, he didn't win, but he he this played. Year. Yeah, this was year. that this year. Yeah, that was so well, freaking sorry, cool, twenty twenty. Right?
0: Last last yeah, in November. Yeah, one. that was yeah.
2: that was sick. So I it was think,
0: awesome.
2: Uh, those will start to change. I mean, if you're great for the game, uh, yeah, I pick Ernie. But yeah, if you have to, if you have to have one, ooh, Freddie, Freddie, be a good one.
1: Three, I don't. Yeah. I don't see anything on the Google that says you have to. I mean, I assume it's just okay. a. It was a lock for those, you know, for Arnie and those guys because they did win it. Yeah. But I'm sure that's just yeah. a committee decision. For and sure. then after Must Tiger
0: Phil and Ernie die, it's Patrick Reed, Sergio Garcia, and.
2: <laughs> oh, can't get started on Patrick Reed.
0: Hey, we need another hour for that. A, that'll be that'll a, be episode two with Matt Ryan.
2: <laughs> I'm a pretty honest guy so I don't uh I can what, save that story for another time. <laughs> so what's
0: going on with rules Matt like we talk about rules too action I think it's actually very important um that we kind of brought up the rules because the RNA and the USGA are now starting their conversation of changing equipment changing whatever it might be to just have the conversation of the ball is going too far. So th- I guess the question is do we have a distance problem? And if we do, what exactly is the distance problem? Help me understand.
2: I, I haven't read too much into this. I, like, I think hit the ball as far as you want or as far as you can. I mean, uh, there are a few guys that'll tell you that are kind of like mid-range hitters. I'm not going to try to get longer because I don't want to mess with my other parts of my game. I mean, until everyone starts hitting it a million yards... Uh, I think equipment obviously has a lot to do with it. I think better people kind of, this is like 50, 50, and someone might just come after me for saying this. I think better athletes are playing. Uh, I think there's more training at a Boom. younger age. Boom. That's a hundred percent. You just said said I better
0: athletes are playing. That's exactly yeah,
2: the side that we're on. And, there, but there are there are some guys that will literally tell you like they're not good athletes, but they're still hitting the ball far. Um, yeah. You know, science has helped dramatically. I mean, when I was growing up, I sit down on the driver. I still do. I can't get away from it, but luckily I don't hit it short. So I can hit down on the driver. No, you don't. Yeah. I got your 20, I mean stats that's, right here. Oh God. What what is what is what is the distance? I don't need to know you the rules. I wanna know. You know this stats. is great. This is this is
0: awesome. Okay, so here's your twenty twenty stats. Uh oh, driving distance, uh three hundred and eleven. Driving accuracy sixty five percent. Greens and regulation sixty nine. Mm-hmm. Putting average one point eight one. Birdies per round three point five seven.
2: Not good. There so, you go. So, so what are those stat-
0: <laughs> what do those stats mean to you?
2: Uh, I'm actually I I don't pay attention again. Like I've mentioned before, I, uh, a lot for me is emotional. Like I, I think sometimes stats can be, I I think stats are beneficial all the time, but I think, I think sometimes they can be just thrown in the trash. I don't, uh, I know, I feel like I'm a better driver than 65%. Right. And and I guess the corn ferry tour would be a lot harder because uh, they don't, some events they don't track everything, but um, like I know I'm a better driver in terms of accuracy. I've always hit, hit the driver pretty well, but some holes, like nowadays, like you just mentioned in the distance talk, just boom it, hit it in the fair hit in the rough. who cares? So I think when we come oh, I need to putting to me is strict, is very emotionally based. I putted great in Latin America last year, and like I said, in 2020, my emotions weren't as good. I didn't put as well. Um, but I think distance more importantly than distance, I think the fairways need to get tighter and I think the rough needs to get longer. And I think the greens need to get firmer. There's not a golf course you can go to, even if you eliminated the other two and you just said firmer greens that you can't, you the course can't be more dangerous. Um, I mentioned the jockey club in Argentina. It's like maybe 6,500 yards. I'm actually not even sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and these greens are tiny. A lot of them are lifted and they're, they get the course so firm that if you miss a green, it bounces away from the green. And then you have a a chip or a pitch that you have to get up in the air, but the ground's so firm, it's, it's brutal. So I'm a big proponent of like, obviously rain can affect that and all that stuff. But like so many courses are so good now with maintenance, they can get the greens as firm as they want. And I think that's, I think that's a little lost in the discussion. Firmer greens, tighter fairways. I'd be more, I'd be more up for that than uh, drawing it back. I don't think there are enough guys that hit it absurdly far yet to draw it back.
1: I agree. Well, just so you're aware, that was the correct answer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> what... <one> more... <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah.
2: When I was growing up, I remember my dad. We we used to go to the LA Open and and SBC Senior Classic, and he would go look look at the you know there'd be someone that's like six three, and he's like. My dad's my dad's very knowledgeable with golf. He was a scratch way back in the day. Now he's like a twelve, but my grandfather was really good. So, he like, I do come from a golf family to some extent, and we used to watch taller hitters. And my dad would go, "It's tough for taller guys to swing the club the way they're supposed to because they got to get down so far, right?" So, I think one of the things that people have lost sight of in all the technology advances is now Dustin Johnson, who's six foot four, can hold a club that is designed for him to get max performance out of it. Right. It used to be Dustin Johnson would be swinging a club that's an inch and a half too short. And I don't think, I think again, it's all of it together, but um, even something like that, like having to get fit for proper clubs and equipment, even just the length issue to get taller guys into better clubs for them is massive to hit it farther.
0: They should just design 18 holes of Of a course, um, just exactly like number 10 at the Riv. I think that's one of the best (laughs) holes on on tour because it makes pro golfers look foolish. It's amazing. They think they can hit their three wood into that little slot. And if you miss it just a little bit left or even right, that bunker is going to hit you. And if you're in the bunker, that's almost impossible because how the green is sloped. And then if you're on the left hand side, uh, near the trees or even like that rough is it's is, it's brutal just give me 18, yeah. something like that I think uh <laughs> yeah. course architecture are are <laughs> yeah make the golfers think man um yeah. Maddie, yeah. uh you you need to go get your food don't you I could yeah I don't want to you guys wanna... got
2: more questions you can ask me I don't want to I don't want to keep to... you too oh. long
0: here um what I'm what, in what, the zone what, now though what's in the oven <laughs> what's it what's in the oven what, what's for dinner
2: yeah, tonight was uh, I did salmon uh, that I got from Whole Foods. It's like bourbon, bourbon glaze, it says. And then I oh got my uh, gosh. I m- make I these miss baked Whole potatoes food. that are. Yeah. <laughs> it's called uh, I call them English style for my buddy Greg Eason. We we rented a place in November and he just loads them up, gets them wet, loads them up with like salt, pepper, sticks them in the oven for like an hour. Are I you the those. best?
0: Are you the best cook in your family, Matt?
2: I'd say, I'd say it's been passed down to me. My mom hates cooking, but she, oh. she would have been the best. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I would be, yeah. At the moment, at the moment. And mm-hmm. then I got like zucchini and tomatoes and mushrooms all grilled together.
0: Like, do you That's cook for your roommates? Sheamus. Do you cook for Seamus or is it, is, is he on his we, own?
2: We used to split it up. Uh, so uh, I'm not, I'm not living with Seamus anymore. I'm with a buddy, oh. Brian Hughes. And I've been, <laughs> I've been cooking up a storm for Brian. He, he's i uh, I'd say he'd be disappointed when I leave.
0: it sounds like it yeah so well shoot uh if you make it to boise this year which you will um by the way yeah that's um,
2: the plan yeah podcast
0: bump it's the podcast bump we had uh um an auburn player on uh early december and his next event out he he won so he was on the podcast (laughs) before so and everybody that we saw matty p um he played in the florida uh, big money we had him on the the monday before he went
2: out
0: he played well he played well he he was t3 after one so um matt ryan the professional golfer is going to have a really really good year for the rough airways podcast
2: Bob. here we go you heard here it we here we go well, it won't be first. rough fairways will it
0: Rough Fairways is executive produced by Eddie Dunn and Mike Sells. Our thanks again to Maddie Ice. Exciting news coming up here on Rough Fairways, where we announce our sponsorship next week. And upcoming guests include Ben Schur and Corn Fairy player Alex Beach. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. And please remember, be kind to each other.